Listener Production. Hey, Tom here. As our parting gift for the year, we're bringing you a series of four big conversations where we give you a wrap of the biggest stories of 2023. We'll break it into four parts. We've got the big national news stories, then international news, sporting news, and pop culture. In this app, it's the big Australian news stories. But before we get into that, here are the important stories making news today from the Listener Newsroom. Good morning. I'm Celeste Mitsu. Less than a third of urgent care clinics are operating at full capacity. 40 are advertising shorter hours than what was promised by the Albanese government. Labor claims the hours will be extended based on demand. But, as already revealed, 83,000 people have walked into one. That's relieving hospitals. But Shadow Health Minister Anne Rustin says the job is only half done. I think what we're seeing here is a lot of smoke and mirrors. Uh, Australians being misled. Uh, and a delivery of a promise that was a ticker box and not a real delivery. Intelligence agencies are ramping up efforts to prevent local violent attacks after two Australians were killed in Lebanon by an Israeli airstrike. One of the brothers has been claimed by terror group Hezbollah as one of its fighters. Canberra is still seeking information about the attack and has already warned Australians to leave Lebanon as soon as possible. A man is in hospital under police guard following a siege at a Western Sydney home. He allegedly threatened police on arrival around 10.30 last night before refusing to come out. Charges are expected to be laid against two people after breaking into the Victorian home of accused mushroom poisoner Erin Patterson on Christmas Day. It is the third raid in the past month. Nearly 10,000 storm-affected communities in Queensland will ring in the new year without power. In some towns, critical infrastructure needs to be rebuilt. And Cher has applied for conservatorship over her son Elijah. The Grammy Award winner claims he's unable to manage his assets due to drug addiction. Australia is feeling safe in the second test at the MCG thanks to Mitch Marsh, but it was heartbreak for the all-rounder who was closing in on a century out for 96. Nathan Lyon has told Triple M all the boys are really proud of him. Fair few quiet boys uh, in that change room when he nicked that one because we all want to see each other do really well and but unable to go on. But saying that, he did go out there when we were 4 for 16 and mm. put a 150-run partnership. The Aussies resume their second innings at six for 187. All right, thank you to the Listener Newsroom for the headlines. Now it's time for Katrina Blouse and I to bring you a wrap of the biggest national news stories of the year. All right, so as you wind down your year, we are wrapping up the year. And in this episode, we're looking at uh, the biggest Australian news stories of the year. The Indigenous voice to Parliament. Tonight's result is not one that I had hoped for. Cost of living, soaring interest rates. Philip Lowe is out. What price does Qantas put on its reputation? The fallout of the PwC tax leak scandal. Optus is facing growing scrutiny over just what went wrong. Gosh, listening to that just brings up a whole range of emotions, some of them good, some of them bad, some of them anxiety-inducing. Uh, it's It's been tough for us, Tom, because, you know, a lot has happened this year. We get up early most mornings, mm. we get together, we talk about the news of the day. But in looking back over the year that was, we've had to really land on what were some of the defining moments of 2023. And I guess the biggest national story, if you're going to name one of this year so far, the one that affected everyone, I guess, because we all had to turn out to vote on it, was the referendum on The Voice and the political fallout, which 
ended up being quite significant. Yeah, it dominated so much news coverage and part of that was because it dragged out so long. I mean, the debate really was kicked off right at the start of the year in January and Peter Dutton really fired the starting gun when he wrote that open letter which he sent to the newspapers calling on Anthony Albanese to give more detail. So he listed these 15 points that he wanted detail on and that put Anthony Albanese on the back foot. From then on, he was sort of having to answer the challenges rather than lead the conversation and that really set the tone for the next 10 months. And I think, you know, one of the things that if you were going to look back and reflect on what perhaps might have been done differently when it Mm. comes to the Yes campaign, that in a vacuum of information, people will come to their own conclusions, sadly. And, you know, that was borne out in that very smart ass, but it turns out Mm. to be quite impactful comment that Peter Dutton made when John Farnham's The Voice song was brought in for the Yes campaign. And he he said, you know, you're the voice, try and understand it. And that's what a lot of Australians ended up doing. And ultimately, they just couldn't. Mm. Yeah, well, the no campaign in a referendum is at a natural advantage because you need a majority of voters around the nation, but also in a majority of states. It makes it much harder to win the yes campaign. And the nature of most referendums is that you're trying to do something brand new, that's never been done before. So there are so many ways to shoot that down, to sow seeds of doubt and to play on that natural advantage you have because of the way referendums work. And I think Peter Dutton made a a fairly shrewd political calculation on that. Um, I think what'll be interesting if we're sort of trying to pick apart the long-term learnings from the year is is where that really leads him um, as a leader, Peter Dutton. I think, you know, It made him look decisive and strong, Um, possibly didn't make him look compassionate, possibly didn't appeal to a lot of those voters that the Liberal Party lost in the 2022 election when they lost those teal seats. So it it might have strengthened his position within his own party. It certainly has. There's almost no doubt about that. Um, We're not hearing any rumblings of, you know, leadership change within the, the federal Liberal Party at the moment. But will it actually win him more votes politically? And then, of course, just was it the right thing for the country? I mean, this was a very novel idea to have this advisory body enshrined in the Constitution and whatever you make of the politics and the tactics, maybe that's just something Australians didn't see as the right way forward to advance the cause of Indigenous Australians. And what do you reckon happens now for Anthony Albanese? What do you think it says about him and and what Australians think about him and his leadership style? The honeymoon's definitely over. So polling says the two-party preferreds, worse than it ever has been since the last election. His personal approval rating is way off. So now he really gets into the business end of his first term. You know, the election was in May 2022, so he got most of that year to kind of ride on the vibe of that election result and all the um, the dislike for Scott Morrison and we got all those revelations about the secret portfolios as well. So that was just win, win, win for the new Anthony Albanese government. Then the voice started to consume a lot of oxygen. It was ultimately a failed campaign, but underlying all of that, of course, as we discussed so many times throughout the year, were the cost of living pressures. And that's just continuing and continuing. So yes, 
we've had all the rate rises. There might be one more left or maybe two, but pretty much we're at the top of that that curve. But the pain for people in their practical lives just gets worse and worse and worse. More time goes on um, if you're holding a mortgage or just if you're anyone struggling with the cost of living. So this has been well covered by so many political reporters that this is the key challenge. It it almost always has been, but now there's nothing else to distract from that. And I guess the reckoning of the past of the Morrison government, that's well and truly in the rear vision mirror now. The focus is firmly on the Anthony Albanese government. They didn't create the inflation problem, but they are here in power needing to do something about it. Otherwise, they'll cop the blame. Yeah, speaking of blame and and anger at leadership styles, when you and I were talking about the standout themes of the year, it's also been a big year for anger at corporations and and corporate leadership. Yeah. Um, So interesting how that has emerged as such a strong theme. Qantas, the biggest, followed by PwC, and then, of course, most recently, Optus. Yeah, so some massive heads have rolled for corporate leaders, and it's been just so fascinating to watch. It's, it does really seem to be one of the biggest themes of the year, which is accountability for these big corporate leaders. And, you know, we always talk a lot about the politicians, um, but in terms of salary, you know, Albo's on about half a mil. Um, these corporate leaders get paid so much, and and sometimes they don't have to face the same scrutiny as our political leaders, where there's regular question time, there's regular elections that are big public you know, well-covered events. A lot of the stuff around corporate leadership goes on in, you know, boardrooms or annual general meetings, and we get less visibility on on some of those big decisions. So, yeah, they really cop the heat. And I think an interesting trend here was the role of these um, Senate estimates hearings, where some of these leaders have had to front up to think back to Alan Joyce having to face those tough questions from the senators. Um, Richard Goyder, the Qantas chairman, also had some really awkward moments and then had to relinquish his leadership as well. The former CEO of Optus, she had to face the grilling and within a few days was gone. PwC also had to front up and that scandal was shocking, not only for that organisation, but also the other big three accounting firms. They're all suffering they're losing a lot of that government advisory business because of this breach of trust. So, yeah, it's a, it's been an, an interesting one and, and some people would say, well, they should face this amount of scrutiny. Do you think it's going to change or reframe the way that leaders carry themselves for, you know, particularly the public faces of those big um, customer-facing corporations and, and that they're just the time has come. There needs now to be a lot more transparency and accountability. Yeah, well, there'll be some massive learnings about crisis PR and reputation management for these people. Yeah, the most recent example you touched on there, Kelly Bayer-Rosemarin, the former CEO of Optus, she could have saved her job with just a few a few things that could have been done differently. You know, the morning of that national outage, which started at about 4 a.m., she needed to be one of the first people um, fronting up for media interviews for breakfast radio, and then you would have got Optus controlling the message. Yeah. Yes, we're very disappointed and apologetic that we're disrupting so many of you this morning. Yes, we're working on it as hard as we can. Yes, we're very sorry that 
this has affected your lives and, and we feel that, but that didn't happen. You know, she came on much later. Um, the politicians had already got out first raising questions and the anger was just starting to build. And then, you know, she mishandled as well in, in the way she dealt with the parent company in Singapore. Face the Senate estimates hearing, comes out of there, you know, guarded by minders rather than just sort of fronting up and taking accountability and next minute she's gone. But if you look at each of those moments, they could have been handled differently. I mean, then the Qantas example, there were just news story after news story throughout the whole of this year, basically, of Qantas disappointing people. And so it was really, I mean, a scandal by a thousand cuts that they needed to deal with there. She was labelled Australia's worst female serial killer. But tonight, Kathleen Folbig is a free woman. There has been a major development in the investigation into the fatal mushroom poisoning of three dinner guests in Victoria. All right, and I guess we can't look back at the year that was without touching on two criminal trials that captivated the nation in a way that so few rarely do. These are things that just got everyone talking and strangely, they both involved women. Yeah, so Kathleen Folbig, this is the woman who was dubbed Australia's worst female serial killer. Um, She'd been locked up for 20 years um, for the murder and manslaughter of four of her own infant children between the years of 1989 and 1999. In June, another inquiry into her conviction found that there was reasonable doubt that she killed her own children and that was all based on um, new scientific evidence that had emerged since the conviction and even since a previous inquiry that brought new DNA um, genetic mutation evidence to the table, which made the prosecution rethink how the children died, which also led to a rethink of some of the circumstantial evidence like the diaries she wrote at the time. And the other criminal case that we were talking about, which is going to carry over into 2024, is um, the alleged mushroom murders. I don't know that I've seen a story that has had so many people talking in a really long time. For all the things that happened in Australia this year, this is probably the one that generated a huge amount of the international headlines. The rest of the world just must have been going WTF. (laughs) We now know that Erin Patterson um, has been charged with the murder of the three people that died after that lunch on July 29 in regional Victoria. There's also um, attempted murder charges. And I think apart from a mushroom poisoning in itself being interesting enough, what really blew people's minds about this was the fact that at the lunch were the parents of her ex-partner. They sadly passed away. And four counts of the attempted murder charges relate to her former partner at previous lunches that, that he'd attended years earlier. So that made it all the more intriguing. The other thing that made the story intriguing is that it took quite a few months for them to charge her. And Erin Patterson, she was just living in the community during that time. So there was a lot of speculation. It also meant in legal terms, there's a lot more you could say without being in contempt of court. So now that she's been charged, there's a lot less that people can say. 
Yeah, there were so many interesting details to this particular case, including something I'd never heard of before, the use of sniffer dogs that have been trained to sniff out computer equipment. Uh, that, that was a new one for me. Yeah, and we found out, you know, a lot of that on the day that police raided her home and then on that same day she was taken in for questioning, which is what eventually was the final step before the charges were laid. It's just deeply fascinating on so many levels, but also, as you as you said, this is going to go to a trial next year. So this story is, is far from over. I think we're going to learn more and more fascinating details throughout the course of that trial. Yeah, like all of these stories, are, yeah, it's it can be funny and fascinating, but, you know, people died here. Three mm-hmm. people died. The fourth was in hospital for months. So there's a deep, dark human tragedy at the core of it. Um, but, yeah, if you're going to sort of look towards the calendar of next year, this will be right up there. The cost of living crisis. Yeah. Anthony Albanese's real test yeah. as a political leader. And, of course, one of the biggest things that's going to be on the calendar up here in Queensland for 2024 is the state election. I mean, already we've seen some of the puzzle pieces falling into place with Anastasia Palaszczuk unexpectedly stepping down before Christmas. A lot of people were thinking that she'd take the Christmas break and, you know, have that time to consider and then announce it in the new year. But no, she shocked everyone by doing it early. And we have a new Premier in Queensland, Stephen Miles. We go to the polls in October. Will the daggy dad uh, (laughs) triumph? Yeah, well, for people outside of Queensland, sort of, you know, I guess we only see the state political news sporadically. He was mostly seen during the pandemic era being quite aggressive, kind of being really critical of other state premiers and the federal government. So that's the impression I have of him from the outside, not the daggy dad persona you're talking about. Yeah, it's funny because I've been to so many press conferences with him where he's had fumbles and missteps. He has this nervous giggle that he does because he's not a hugely confident public speaker. He is a self-confessed introvert. So it's funny that you have that idea of him as being aggressive uh, because here in Queensland, he's seen as a much softer touch. So yeah, he's going to be tested. Um, There's, you know, a summer of natural disasters coming up. And will he he be able to carry off that that leadership persona that's needed? Well, yeah. And on a national level, I guess it makes me wonder whether the sort of wall-to-wall Labor governments is going to come to an end because currently in Australia, it's all Labor governments except for Tasmania. And those Labor premiers have been so powerful and the state Liberal parties have really struggled to get traction in WA, Victoria, uh, and Queensland, but it could all change. What's your prediction? Will Labor get booted out of government in Queensland? I think they would have to do something pretty wrong in order for them to get the boot. Now that they've changed the leader, that is. If they'd kept Anastasia Palaszczuk, I thought that they were going to go for sure. But the thing is, we have an opposition leader who doesn't have a huge amount of recognition. You know, in all of the opinion polls that have been done about him, people just don't know who he is. He's just not getting cut through, despite him being a former journalist. So, you know, I think sometimes... It is better the devil you know. All right. I love drawing predictions out of you on air, Katrina, so that they can be proved right (laughs) or wrong. (laughs) This could really come back to haunt me. Thank you. All right. That's it for this episode. We'll catch you soon. 